everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Real Estate Rundown with Shannon Robnett. Today, our guest is Joe DeVera. Joe, say hi. Hello. Hi, Shannon. So, Joe comes to us uh, with uh, a background of about 30 years in financial services. And I really wanted Joe to be on the show today because, as everybody is aware, we are in some very interesting financial times. Uh, and throughout our history, we've had cycles and we've had sessions and we've had, you know, the dot-com bust and we had the, the great recession of, of the real estate debacle and, and everything. And everybody always likes to blame it on somebody. But I wanted Joe to be on the show here to tell us why financing is a great thing and why a good financer is a, a fantastic asset. And so, Joe, I want you to just start off by giving us your background and let us know what got you from where you started to where you're at? Take about five minutes and just bring us up to speed on Joe's life. You got it. Thanks, Shannon. I appreciate the opportunity and I want to welcome, say hi to your followers and uh, and excited to be here. So, uh, name is Joe Devera. Actually, was born in the Philippines, came to America when I was three. Uh, my mother uh, was fortunate enough. Uh, my mother had eight brothers and sisters. Uh, father had nine. So, we were the only family from our, both our collective families to come to America. She was a nurse and was brought to America during the Vietnam War because there was a shortage of nurses, much like what's happening today, right, with COVID-19. Right. And there are always going to be a shortage of nurses. And so uh, she came to America with the, the, the promise of bringing able to, being able to bring her family to America after she spent time in, in America after of about 18 months working in the VA hospitals, which then gave our family the citizenship, green cards, and, and so forth to get us here. So I grew up in Long Beach, California, okay. uh, and, uh, you know, love California, and I uh, went to UCLA, uh, which is uh, was my dream school, and there I met my wife, Emily, who actually grew up here uh, in Boise. Uh, she uh, went to Capitol High School, graduated, and went down to UCLA. We met What, what year did she graduate? Uh, she graduated uh, 87 from Capitol High School. Okay, I graduated 91, so she just well, missed me. Oh, was it at Capitol as well? Yeah. All right, yeah. good. She had a she had a younger sister, uh, Sarah Miller, who oh. I believe yeah. uh, you might know. <laughs> so there you go, Emily Miller. Welcome to the podcast uh, <laughs> of how small is Idaho, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I guess you can call me. I'm the Kevin Bacon of Idaho, maybe you are. So uh, so yeah. So uh, so uh, so Sarah's my sister-in-law. Emily's my wife. Okay. Uh, we met uh, uh, down in college. I was in a fraternity. She was in a sorority. And, uh, and during uh, one dinner, when I took her out, she uh, basically told me she didn't want to raise her family uh, in California. I thought she was crazy because I love California. Long story short, uh, here I am you in Idaho. life more than California, Joe. Yeah, I, I found, yeah, <laughs> definitely. It, it was the best move ever, not yeah. just obviously meeting, and, meeting Emily and marrying her and, raising our, and eventually moving to Idaho 20 years ago, raising our four kids here. Uh, but, uh, you know, Emily was, was definitely a person that, that still today gives me a lot of perspective on life. Because uh, we, we came from different backgrounds. You know, mm -hmm. I'm from an immigrant uh, uh, family, uh, grew up in, you know, really, really kind of tough times uh, being an immigrant and living in, you know, a big city like Long Beach, right. which wasn't the, the, the easiest city to, to, to grow up in. I went to Long Beach Poly High School before I went to UCLA, where I tell my kids and the kids that I coach basketball, I also coach basketball that every day at school, I had to walk through a metal detector. 
um, in which, you know, uh, so now walking through metal detectors isn't a big deal for me. Whereas with other people, they never seen one or, or had right. to deal with it. They, now they do with when they go to the airports, obviously with TSA, but, but yeah, every day it was a daily event for me to have to, you know, walk in to a school to say, all right, the reason why the metal detectors there is because people are bringing in bad things and right. they had to deal with that. And I saw bad things on a, almost on a daily basis. And so that was, I guess, part of what made me who I am today. Going to UCLA was definitely a big part of, of me. Uh, uh, when, when my fraternity brothers, I'm still very close to them. It's, it was kind of a neat experience for me. Uh, people asked me what I learned in college. And besides maybe some of the fun stuff we did, <laughs> maybe helped show up who I am today. That's a different podcast, Joe. It is a different podcast, maybe. <laughs> maybe during happy hour. But, but no, uh, but really, uh, you know, what, 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 what it taught me uh, being in a fraternity, uh, and I don't know, Chad, if, if you were in a fraternity, uh, when you're in college, uh, there's this thing called rush where you had to go in and, uh, and both a, when you're not a member of the fraternity, you had to in essence sell yourself as a person, as a good fit to that fraternity. And then when you were in the fraternity as a brother, uh, the rushes would come in and you would have to make a very quick decision. Uh, if, if you read the book uh, by, by Malcolm Gladwell blank, you know, it's that fast filtering system that you kind of build up and generate over time right. uh, to decide, all right, this person is a good person. I trust him or her and I want to do business with them, spend time with them. They're going to provide some value to me as a person uh, and I want to provide value to them to kind of, you know, work together with them over time. And, and, and with, with fraternities and sororities, it's kind of the same thing. You're basically deciding because, you know, because at least I took the, the, the phrase brotherhood very, very seriously. Uh, and some people, you know, they, they joke about it, laugh about it. And I understand that because, you know, sure. there, there's some bad stuff out there and some people that are in fraternities sororities have made some bad decisions. But anyway, so uh, that was, I think, a big part of what made me who I am today was the ability to A, market myself to people right. and speak uh, extemporaneously, just quickly say, all right, here's who I am and here's what I'm about and what I believe in. Uh, and then B, uh, make decisions quickly with people to kind of decide, all right, this person is really listening to me. They really are engaging or they're not. And I think the older we get, uh, at least for me, my wife has told me I've gotten a little less maybe tolerant over time uh, just because, you know, it, it's, it, you know, when, when the older you get, you have more stuff or people that you, you, you right. accumulate or you talk to. And so I'm having to be a little bit more decisive that way. But uh, bottom line, I think the key thing, for me is trying my best with it with you know because everyone is is compressed with time to really listen to people and really really lock into what we're, they're saying and then quickly have at least an initial understanding your path of how to best help them right uh quickly uh instead of doing what typical bankers do which which i call death by a thousand paper cuts right uh which which is basically all right lost questions Fill yeah they'll, they'll drag you along right you know bankers love you know i had a joke about it because i've been doing it for so long because it's true i guess we love to take you to lunch and take you out golfing and fill all the that pile. wine and dine you until at the end you know what we can't help you yeah and so i think that was one of the key factors of, of me learning uh of of uh of how to best you know take care of people and not even knowing i was going to get into financial uh, uh, the financial services world. And so during college, I, I started working in a bank. I thought I was going to be an attorney, realized that, I, that the, the law uh, world didn't fit me when I worked for an attorney as, as, a, as an intern for a bit, fell backwards into banking as a teller, um, 
answering phones for a branch manager in a, in a branch uh, in, in Beverly Hills, you know, just because just there's an office available there, a job opportunity. Uh, and then just kind of worked my way up uh, the chain uh, for by one, by the time I graduated, I became uh, a management trainee for uh, Bank of America uh, down in LA and then uh, ended up moving to Seattle because uh, uh, my then fiance, now wife Emily, got into a, the master's program at University of Puget Sound. So we decided to move up there. I joined up with Washington Mutual Bank and uh, started with WAMU and their management training program uh, for a couple years uh, in the federal way at Tacoma offices, uh, then moved uh, to Portland where I uh, ran branches for Washington Mutual for about eight years. And then WAMU uh, transferred me or had me, uh, gave me an opportunity to move here to Boise in 2000 to run the Boise Town Square office for them. That's what got us to Boise. And after three years, you know, WAMU was experiencing amazing growth. That was during the, the craziness heyday uh, of, uh, you know, of, uh, of, uh, of lending and banking. And, uh, you know, everyone thought that it could not end. Right. And no one could do wrong. Right. right. And so at that point, the, the bank was, was expanding tremendously. Uh, they wanted me to move back east. I had an opportunity to move to New Jersey, uh, Chicago, Atlanta. I passed on all of them. Uh, the bank at that time that said, all right, if you keep passing, you know, you got to move up to move out. It was like an old GE saying, right? And, uh, <laughs> and so I, I didn't want to move out, so I couldn't move up. And so I decided to find something else to do to keep me in town to kind of uh, maybe challenge me more than retail bank management. So I got into wealth management, did some investments, financial planning for a local uh, broker, uh, Bob Rathbone, did that for a few years and then missed banking. So go back into Key, uh, banking with KeyBank, worked for Joel Hickman mm -hmm. uh, for a number of years. Joel's a great guy. Got recruited then by Washington Trust Bank and Dave Terrell. Worked there for uh, about six, seven years, and that was a good stint with Dave. And then that's when I ended up uh, going more into the commercial real estate investor world. I was uh, hired by A10 Capital, run by Jerry Dunn and, 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 uh, and Ken Wilson, yep. uh, and uh, worked for A10 for about two and a half years. Uh, and uh, learned a lot from them. Uh, it was a great experience, but that position had me move. Oh, not move, I'm sorry, had me travel mm -hmm. uh, quite a bit. I was, I was basically, my, my territory was pretty much the West Coast minus Southern California. I had Oregon, Washington, Idaho, which there weren't many deals big enough to land here in Idaho. So I spent most of my time in Seattle, Portland, Sacramento, Oakland, uh, Palo Alto, the Bay Area, uh, Let me guess, Emily yeah. wasn't a fan. She was not a fan. And yeah. my kids uh, weren't either, uh, you know, although maybe they won't admit it to you, Shannon. Right. <laughs> but right. I think they did miss me. I was missing a lot of basketball games, you know, right. a lot of events. Uh, and my wife, Emily, she was definitely, she appreciated the fact that I was working, but, but I was gone a lot. And right. so I was on a plane um, every Sunday night heading to a city, a destination, and then coming home typically every every uh, every every Wednesday or Thursday, trying to play catch up, and it was, right. you know, initially it was fun. And and right. I like I, like I told uh, you know Jerry and Ken at A10 when I decided to leave, I learned a lot because you know yeah. going from the owner occupied uh, lending world and banking to the commercial real estate investor world that A10 provided, um, you know, working because A10 did the value add non recourse bridge financing. Uh, and so uh, learning that world and how investors think is really where I cut my teeth on 
uh, on and kind of the message that I've, I've kind of carried through into today. And so after a few years of that travel, got burned out, uh, went on, uh, joined a company called Veristone Capital, which is a hard money lender uh, based out of uh, Kirkland, Washington. Mm-hmm. Right now, they're about a $150 million fund. I learned a lot from them. Uh, Dimitri Vizis is one of the principals there. I learned a lot from Dimitri. We're still friends. Uh, and uh, and uh, did that for a couple years uh, and ran their fund uh, here in Idaho. They, they basically portioned out about $20 million to lend here in Idaho to, to build their hard money lending business here and to help them pr- pr- develop and produce uh, the new construction hard money program that they now still offer uh, helped them with, you know, understanding the credit side, leverage points, underwriting, and then they already had the, the closing documents and such in place mm-hmm. uh, to do that. So I kind of helped them develop that uh, and then led me to now one well, with Finance of America Mortgage. And so FAM is a company backed by Blackstone, one of the largest uh, home lenders, retail uh, and wholesale and reverse uh, mortgage lenders uh, in the country, uh, and uh, they also had a division called Finance of America Commercial, uh, which did lines of credit for fix and flip, new construction, and also did a portfolio of rental property loans as well. So that was my main focus. So Joe, uh, when, we, when we say that you know lending, it's very apparent with your resume that you have been involved in just about every single phase of it, uh, and and can understand the nuances that are with each part. I mean, you know, so when you talk about wealth management, um, that wealth managers uh, often look at situations where hard money lending is a great way to build wealth with the security that's backed by an asset. Uh, Then you've got the conventional financing that comes out of a bank of uh, Washington Trust or WAMU or whatever, and now you're back to the the retail side with Finance of America. That's right. So, Thank you. Yeah. So you kind of went in one door, went through every aspect of it, and back out essentially to the resale, retail side minus the branch. Right. That's correct. And, and, and actually awesome. add to that too, Shannon, if I may, you know, what the, the, the background that you mentioned, uh, especially in the, in the financial services or the, the financial wealth management world, so I, I did have my Series 7 uh, and 63, 65 licenses. It's helped me kind of better understand and then educate my clients on what happened to the mortgage industry, um, you know, during COVID and the volatility that took place with mortgage rates. The understanding that, you know, the Fed lowering rates um, to zero didn't really have an impact on rates like a lot of people thought it should. It was more so based on the, on the MBS market and the lack of liquidity in the MBS market that caused, you know, the rates actually increase after the Fed announced their, their rate decrease. And then eventually now the Fed has performed better yeah. for the mortgage industry to where they've stabilized things and rates then followed them and decreased over, over the last The thing that everybody failed to realize with that whole scenario is that just because the Fed dropped the rate, you still had to get somebody that was willing to invest in 0% paper. That's exactly right. You know, That's exactly right. People don't understand the back end. You're right. Exactly. Yeah, right. At the end of the day, you write all the mortgages you want, but at the end of the day, you've got to sell that to somebody. And yep. last time I checked, nobody's in it for free. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So that is, uh, so what, what is it that, I mean, what is it that you've seen with 
the finance world that has kept you in it this long? I mean, 30 years is, that's a long time in any business, but finance is, is always changing. It's always evolving. What's kept you here for 30 years? Well, uh, I got to say one, and this is an ongoing joke that a lot of my friends have heard. You know, at UCLA, I studied political science. And so what they tell people, the poli-sci majors, you're either teaching or you're unemployed. And so I guess for me, uh, it, it's a necessity. I mean, I kind of right way into this. And so this is what I know. Right. And, and trying to do something else, you know, if I, if I had a CPA like background or a CPA degree or, or some kind of, you know, true finance degree, maybe I'd be doing something else. But, but, uh, but, but that's, that's, that is definitely, well, partly maybe a joke. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. fact that it's a necessity. But B, what's kept me around for so long is the reminder of I think that this business of what we do in different capacities and how we're about to do things really is about helping people. And I know it, it's it's overused and it's corny and it's trite, uh, but when you really do, I think, um, dig in deep into it and really uh, ask the right questions and follow through and do what you say you're going to do, or at least you know help people through these these especially now through these challenging times. You know, like with a basic refinance of helping them lower their rate and an extra two hundred bucks a month is uh, is is huge right. for people. I mean, you know, working with clients that have multi million dollars worth of of, of a portfolio of real estate, and then turning around to help them now with with the just a basic conventional refinance that extra two hundred bucks means a lot more to them than you think, and then so so it's really really helping people. And then B, what's really helped, what's really kind of keeping me motivated now are really, Shannon, are situations like this. I mean, I think over the years when you've, when you've done enough, like you and I have in this business and seen a lot of stuff, you know, it, now I, I see it as my task or my calling to really just try to spread the word and help people out and, and yeah. share through education. Hopefully it generates business, but if it doesn't, you know, that's fine. Uh, life goes on, but it's really educating and motivating people to stick it out and to and to hopefully do the right thing and and move on well and you know joe we saw when we when we want to look at at you know an example of what you're talking about when we saw the mortgage crisis that came out of 2007 and 2008 which as we know now history has taught us was was created by a lot of people trying to make their money not really cared about yours. They were convincing you that a, that a negatively amortizing uh, you know, loan was a good thing for you. Right. You deserved a half a million dollar house uh, on you know, $40,000 a year in combined income. Uh, right. A zero doc loan was a great thing. And, right. and the reality was the only thing it was good for was they got a commission out of the deal. They got paid on it. Right. But what we've seen, and, and this is what I've, I've known about you, Joe, is that what we've seen is that those people got out of the industry in nine, 10 and 11. Right. But as we know yeah. with your resume, as, as I know, and, and the listeners are figuring out, you didn't get out of lending during that time period. Cause there, no. there wasn't a stint where you became an actor or, you know, you, you, <laughs> well, you know, no, this face, yeah, yeah, my, my mom <laughs> says I got a face made for radio. Why are you doing a podcast? <laughs> right. but, but anyway, gotcha. but you know, and, and, and so, I completely agree with you. Now is the time. The economy is doing great. There's been some things that came out of 2008 
that changed in lending that helped make it safer, but there's still bad actors, right? That's correct. There's That's still correct. people out Always there selling it. for the sake of the sale for them, what they get out of it. But really helping people to understand that if it wasn't COVID, yeah. it was going to be something. It's going to be something else. Exactly. You know, and right. how do you really position yourself to take maximum advantage with maximum protection to make sure that you can, you can live. Yeah. Know? Right. And, and that's what Joe, I, I see you doing in your outreach in the community and, and things that you do to, to really truly educate. Yeah. Um, you, you used a, a when, when we were talking before the podcast, you were telling me some things about bankers that were yeah. not really flattering Right. Uh, you know, but, but not really true of all bankers, No. you know, but the fact yeah. that, you know, I really see where you're wanting to educate why. I mean, and so, so first of all, let's start with this educational question because sure. when I grew up, if you were with working with a hard money lender in the nineties, you were in deep caca. <laughs> right. Right. Cause the term, yeah. the term uh, kind of had a connotation that it was a bad deal. Right. But you, you worked with, you worked with hard money lenders. Yes. Worked for them. Yes. Work, yeah. For them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a time and a place for that. What is the advantage of working with a hard money lender? And it's a great question. Uh, and I, I believe it, it, it is, there's, there's two reasons why hard money lender, hard money lending exists and it should continue to exist. Number one, there is the, the necessity part of it. Uh, because hard money lending is is typically driven on short term money, um, not uh, and and let's be honest, banks, uh, financial companies do not like short term money because they cannot then turn around and sell it under the secondary market. Short term money it, it moves too fast, it's paid up too quickly, uh, and uh, you know is seen as maybe a higher risk type loan. Uh, therefore, uh, the, the secondary market for it on, on, a, on a national or global level uh, just uh, really doesn't exist. And so, so uh, A, banks don't like doing that portion. And then, but then B, the real reason why I think you want to use a, a hard money letter is velocity. It, it's, right. it's how quickly you can get your money, get the deal done, get the funds you need for rehab if it's a rehab. And then after the rehab is done and the money is there to, to complete the project, you're in and out of that project in a matter of days and weeks, if not months, because uh, the longer the term, um, and we're, we're, if, if it's a longer term type loan, the longer the term is tied to the duration of amount of time it takes to qualify you for a loan. Uh, so if you're looking for a 30 year fixed rate mortgage, uh, it takes about 30 to 45 days to process because there's a lot of steps and, and factors built in like appraisals, like title searches, right. income documentation, all those things that are needed to satisfy not just the bank or the lending company, but satisfy the secondary market behind it so that when they package their notes, and you mentioned this, you talked about it very, very well and eloquently, 2007, 2008 taught us a lot of lessons as to how to do things right and not, and not do things and make sure that we don't do the bad things again or the wrong things, which is no documentation. And uh, which is, you know, negative amortization type loans. And the reason why any negative am loans worked or existed is because people really couldn't afford to pay their mortgage uh, based on documented income from the get-go. So, so it, was, it was basically, a, it was a 
somewhat of a it was a bad deal it was it was a ticking well, time. and the other thing too that joe that if we look back at 2007 and 2008 you know we had a 10-month supply of inventory in the, in the right. market 100 percent Right. So we had to keep the market churning. We Nobody wanted right. to stop. The mortgage lenders didn't want to take a break. The builders didn't want to right. take a break for six right. months while we sold us off. Right. So they came up with another product, you know. Right. And, exactly. and uh, you know, so so I, I was just talking with a guy, Ryan uh, Morty, uh, who's a fix and flip guy out of Florida. And yeah. he was talking about hard money lending and the velocity point was really what stuck. You right. know, having to... Uh, having to be able to do something in two weeks, uh, having to be yeah. able to, and you, you only need the money for 90 days or 120 days. And by the right. time you go through, you know, uh, WAMU, uh, yeah. you know, and the, the death by a thousand paper cuts, I like that. I'm going to use right. that. Uh, you're, you're so far down the, the line that you can't, you can't take advantage of the deal. Uh, but you need somebody that is, that is explicitly in tune with the market that they're working in. That's exactly right. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, what, what also happens, you know, when, when, you, when you try to get long-term debt uh, to utilize for a short-term project or deal, you know, the, the ability for that loan or that financing to really match what you need. Uh, and because there is a lot during that time frame of 30, 45 days of processing, there's another phrase that we use in, in the commercial real estate and also in the financing world, which is retrading terms change over time and so from a from a from a investor or builder standpoint the biggest risk one of the biggest risks you has you have when you're looking at a deal or a project is having that pro forma change almost midstream right yes, to where sir. you thought you had margins and then right. pro forma it out but then the bank says no you need to have more leverage or less leverage a higher rate of interest or or we can't do the loan at all uh, but then what happens in the end is that you end up without the loan or, or the loan changes Mm -hmm. and your pro forma changes, and then it, it might screw up your, your plan, your partners, and everything else going forward, right? right? And so I think with hard money lending, what what it does, if you have a good hard money lender, it gives you a, somebody you know that, that is an assurance to say, all right, I'm gonna get you the money in two weeks, right? Or less sometimes, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Here's what the rate's gonna be, and they have nobody else to answer to other than themselves, typically, because they're either their own money, or a buddy's money, or a pool of money that they kind of manage. And they're, they're, you're talking to the decision maker. You're right. talking to the actual lender. Whereas as we know in banking, it's much like buying a car, right? You're talking to a lender like, all right, well, here's what I want. And the, and the guy or gal, you know, we, we leave well, for about 15 talk minutes. To the credit manager. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Come back and, you know, we can't do that for you. Yeah. Sorry. Well, who would you talk to? <laughs> let, me talk to <laughs> let me talk to that person behind the desk or behind the window. And so it, it, and it, it, gets, it gets frustrating. I mean, yeah. it, and I understand that from, from a client's perspective. And then that could happen still with, with hard money lenders too, right? Because the, the business from when it first started in the mid-90s uh, to where it is today, uh, it has, has evolved to where it's become a lot more industrialized, become a lot more uh, of, of, of a true asset class uh, for investors out there. Right. Uh, so it's so a lot of companies like ours, you know, we invested in finance market commercial. We bought two companies, uh, uh, JBI out of Chicago, and I forgot the name of the company, Joplin Capital, I believe. Joplin Capital out of Chicago and JBI out of, out of North Carolina combined them to create finance market commercial. And so, you know, it, it's become a lot more mainstream, mm -hmm. per se, but at the end of the day, it's still kind of the same principles, right? It right. is more asset-driven, more understanding of the real estate uh, versus the client, 
But the, the farther upstream you go with the amount of, of either dollar amount or deals or, or history that this client has, you know, they should demand um, better, better, better costs mm -hmm. uh, to help their performers, pro formas. But um, what, happened, what happened recently is, is that middle tier market evaporated uh, during the, the start of COVID-19 and, and the velocity, or not velocity, but the, the volatility right that took place during that time yeah evaporated is a good term because it, it it's now just become a mirage like yeah. did we really even see that uh because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not that the pool has gotten shallow it's gone away it has uh and has. and that's really put a lot of people in an interesting spot because they've got deals that are ready to go they they're they're all teed up they've got yeah. you know they've got every piece of it except for this uh you know this this hard money this this you know top of their capital stack. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden they're, they're back to square one trying to refigure this out. That's right. And, 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 and even some, even harsher than that, Shannon, what I'm hearing, and you probably heard it too, some builders that have a lender, um, you know, that maybe wasn't well capitalized or whatever the situation is. Right. Um, Cause uh, I, we don't know what's happening behind the scenes, but there's some letters that, that are stopping the, to pay draws, um, right. you know, midstream mid project because they're, they're in a capital crunch, right? right. So it's, it, it's challenging. It really is. Yeah. No. And, and Joe, that's, uh, you know, that's back to what you're, what you're saying is the relationships that you're building. Um, you know, there needs to be, it, it needs to be more exploration on a, on a borrower's point of view that yeah. more than just, will you approve me? Yeah. It's, will you be able to continue to approve me? Yeah. Are we right. building a relationship that you're going to be able to participate in when I want you to, because we all know the bank's question. Yeah. Only as good as your last deal. That's I mean, right. You know, but, That's right. but how many borrowers actually take that scenario to the bank? You know? Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah, uh, many. so, so Joe with, with finance of America, and what you're doing there, that's the retail side of it. Mm -hmm. How can people, uh, what should people be looking at in this COVID environment for, uh, from their financiers, uh, yeah. from, from their lenders, or if they're looking to do a loan, uh, because we know real estate's still transacting. What yeah. is it that people need to be keeping an eye out for uh, in, in, in the environment we're in with their, with their retail lenders? Gotcha. And so I think one of the key things, uh, and maybe they've already have, just because rates have been low uh, now up and down, you know, for the last couple of years. I, I think, you know, one of the things that, that folks should be focusing on, not just during COVID, but, but, but post-COVID, is whatever, regardless of what you believe, whether or not COVID's going to, after the lift of COVID-19, you know, when we work out of the fog, uh, that it's going to create you know, a, a maybe a, some pent up demand uh, in our market, particularly in Boise, right. is going to you know, lift things yep. again. Yep. Um, and, and, and maybe the short term, let's say Q3, Q4, 2020, um, maybe that does happen if you are in the investment real estate world or if you're just, you know, basically a, a person looking into it or, or you're just a guy or gal that has a family that's looking to help manage your finances better. Uh, so that there, there is that that could take place and the economy does recover to a certain extent because of what the Fed has done with their stimulus packages and the CARES Act. Uh, maybe that does get us back on track. There's also the other end of the spectrum, which I'm sure you've heard or talked about where it's going to be bleak and dark. 
uh, for not just, maybe there is a little bit of a bump post COVID because of good feelings, but what the Fed has done is set us up for more challenges down the road, right? It, right. There's, there's not just not enough, the GDP doesn't, doesn't, doesn't give us enough margin to repay the debt that we, we've uh, added to, to, our, to our, uh, our balance sheet uh, as the U.S. economy. And so, uh, so with all that stuff that is a lot to think about, yeah. it, it goes back, I believe, which I know is going to sound, again, trite <laughs> and, and overused, but it is really people really focusing on their family wealth and their family situation first right. to try to minimize their, minimize their expenses. And, and, and I do think, and I know this is definitely plugging things, but have you really looked at what your recurrent rate is on a, on a mortgage? Both if you have an existing home, if you have a second home, investment properties, you know, so on and so forth. Have you looked at your portfolio to really try to take advantage of the one thing that is a good thing now that COVID-19 did create for us, which are rates below 4% right. on a 30-year fix? Investment property loans are, 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 definitely, are the fives because we just talked about the risk challenges of loans as you as you go uh, you know farther up the risk chain of the types of loans we have out there and the investors that want to buy them so investment property loans are definitely are in the fives but on your on your current mortgage if you're able to qualify with good credit and income uh can you refinance your loan before four percent uh, and really get a good solid rate or either 30 or 15 years or actually below three percent to really help you with either cash flow or paying off your debt quicker uh and, and not just your your mortgage debt but can you wrap in other types of loans or debt to you know to consolidate um to make that uh make make your balance sheet more attractive and improve your balance sheet over time even in a potential downward economy uh so it is i think refocusing on on, on your on like like what we're doing now with you know with with the shelter in place or stay-at-home orders it's really helping us or making us relook at ourselves and what we have and what's important um, versus looking outward and trying to see what, what's, what's out there. So I think that is the first step. The second step I do think, which I think is important, is then as you're looking inward, really looking at the folks that, like you said, which, which is well said, uh, that are gonna be around for a while, right? That, that really do like and believe in what they do and are gonna make it through this. Because as you know, and, and I definitely know, uh, much like 2007, much like the dot-com bubble, uh, you know, 2000 and obviously Black Monday back in 88, uh, uh, th these times really do end up, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, depending upon how you look, how you look at it, weed out the folks and people and industries and, and businesses that probably should not have been in that industry or that space uh, to begin with. Right. And so it's, it's folks really trying to find the really solid trusted advisor uh to really walk them through it and and i think what what happens now which is challenging is that clients and individuals and businesses are really you know they're, they're, they're looking for answers right, they're, right. They're, they're grasping at things and the internet only clouds or it only uh, confuses uh, the situation of the equation um you unless know, of course you're turned into this podcast and then it's crazy <laughs> Right. Clarity, and but if they're talking to you and me, 
Right. And it, it, it's, they're, they're good. It's just, 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 just give Shannon or Joe a call. We'll take care. <laughs> right. we'll, we'll take care. Um, of you. We're yeah, we're good. Certain it yeah. really isn't. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but you know, and there's going to be people that unfortunately try to take advantage of this situation as a marketing tool. And are they really there to really talk about their situation on a, you know, on a, on a, on, a, on their basis on their terms versus leading you down a path that really does benefit more um, the advisor it benefits the company that the advisor works for more so than what they're dealing with. And what, what, what's been interesting over the last few weeks, you know, because of the fact Fam Commercial has put uh, our, our, organiz- our, our uh, lending to investors and builders on hiatus, I've had to had a lot of, I've had a lot of, you know, calls with clients that have been challenging to say, look, A, I can't offer you a loan now. And B, if I could offer you a loan, this might not be really the right time to do it. Uh, wait, 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 Joe. You're actually yeah. telling people the, w- that they probably shouldn't borrow the money? Are, as, as a lender, do I really uh, hear you saying that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, maybe it's age. Because, again, you know this. I get paid on deals that I close. And, and, sure. I, and I've told this to a lot of clients. Sure. You know, so as we structure a loan... And based on pricing, based on terms, based on, on things that they need, or like I said, we, we can't offer a loan, but looking at the deal they're looking at right now, it's a question of, all right, let's say you wanted to do a fix and flip or new construction deal. And, and right now, the real question that I have, that we should have, is can we really feel good about what this value is going to be, the a- after completion value down the road? And so in some cases, if it's 50 or 60% leverage, this is a good deal. You have enough sure. margin in there. You have enough. Yeah, you've, you've really done your work to where figuring out, and then based on comps, even with a 10, 15, 20% haircut, right, on values, right. it might happen or might not right. happen. Right. You know, so, so it's really looking at deals more stringently now. And, 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 and I know this probably could be affecting me, which I guess is fine. It, it, that's the way life is. But, but really, it's really looking at your deal to say, if you're basing your income, on growth and momentum, that's definitely not going to happen now, right? right? If you're basing your, your, your deal on true fundamentals right, and, and making sure it makes sense, and either it is a fix and flip, again, we're not lending to that, but I'm still helping clients out with numbers and kind of talking through the potential financing of that, or if it's a burr or, you know, buy, rent, you know, a refinance and so forth, are the rents justified? So that let's say six months from now, if unemployment does continue to increase, if you know the, if the economy does not come back and you have to either decrease rent or offer any kind of abatement or some kind of incentive to keep renters there, do you have enough margin there to where you're not writing checks on a right. monthly basis for that investment property? And that's where I've heard a lot of people, you know, uh, in the value add market especially in multifamily where they use the term forced appreciation. Right. Um, I've never really liked that term because really what you're, what you're doing is you're saying the fundamentals that are in the deal today have to be changed for me to be profitable. Right. Um, And what can I do to force that this next 24 months or 18 months isn't that environment that you want to be in where you're trying to force anything. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Another phrase that's used quite a bit is rent lift, right? Is yes. the understanding yeah. that rent 
you know, in other words, we're, we're old. We're old. Speaking of of deals uh, or terms, yeah. I heard somebody the other day said house hack, and I've heard house hack a lot. And yeah. and so I said, what well, What do you mean by house hack? And they said, Well, you know, you 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 buy a house and you rent out two rooms. And I said, Man, that was that was called being broke when I was when I was your age. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, you had roommates because that's what you needed to pay the bill. Right. You know, right. if you didn't have roommates, you didn't have. Uh, you, you couldn't afford the rent on your own. So exactly. that, that's what I, I, I you got to appreciate millennials because rent lift, forced appreciation, oh, yeah. back, you know, these are their terms. We, we would have never come up with those. We, we call oh. it broke. Whole, whole, <laughs> right. I yeah, wish right. it would, you know, right. what, what's your marketing strategy? Uh, I'm going to pray about and hope it goes up, you know, <laughs> right. exactly. Yeah. It's, it's the, the, the millennials are definitely better at branding. Yes, and, yes, and for sure. Wording than we are, <laughs> probably because their whole life they've had everything sold to them. Oh well, you're right. Or, or they, or, or every every day they're they're being sold to. Yeah. Uh, on on a handheld, right? Yeah. So it's all about branding words. So Joe, looking at the next twelve months, uh, you know, and and knowing that uh, nobody's got a crystal ball and right. and nothing uh, is certain, especially in this time of uncertainty. But you know, it's funny how quickly we came from a time of certainty in January. Uh, to this right. time of uncertainty, yeah. uh, just just three months removed. Yeah. What is what is going to be your uh, your takeaway for my listeners that you can from from a lending perspective? What is the thing that every single listener can be looking at in the next six to nine months? That's a good question, and I think the next six to nine months. Uh, I'll I'll break it up in the next thirty to forty five days. I think what they should do is pretty much what banks are doing now with their portfolios, right? Is they're looking at their portfolios. And so the, uh, the borrowers should, if they own rental properties or they're mid, they're mid construction or mid rehab on a fix and flip property, they should really take a hard look of what they own and what they have to really make sure that they know exactly what they have and that it's actually broken down into some form of a spreadsheet or, or, or systematic kind of thing that they look at to manage that. I think they really need to manage what they have. They right. need to make sure that they understand, you know, when leases expire, um, you know, if renters are asking for abatement, you know, are you really working that, manage that? Or if you're, if you're you know, you're working with property managers, are you talking to your property managers on an ongoing basis to kind of check and make sure that rents are being paid, that that the that the that the the project or that the facility is being managed, maintained. I mean, really trying to manage and work on the stuff that they currently have now. Right. And then, if they did do come across a deal or an opportunity in the next thirty to forty-five days, kind of the same thing of looking and seeing what you have. Make sure you really have people in your corner, and I think people are other investors a financial advisor um, and a lender like myself and either and a realtor that they trust. Yeah. I kind of say, all right, here's, here's the deal. Hey, here are the, here's the stuff in my portfolio. I want you to give me a true honest assessment of what you think these values are today and what they might be, you know, and then do a 20% pro forma decrease and, a, and just kind of a stabilized, maybe just as is, pro forma as well. So you have a worst case scenario and a current scenario. Really manage that. So, so then, you're talking about, you're talking about doing a financial statement or a financial um, picture in time yeah. and projecting forward 
in a good way and a bad way. Yeah. So that you're yeah. so that you're able to anticipate when it comes, it's not a surprise to you. That's exactly right. Exactly that's, right. You know, that's some fantastic insight, Joe, because then as things start to unfold, you have a plan if it goes this way. Yeah. You have a plan if it goes that way. Right. And and you can see how you're going down one of two paths. Because I know if we look back at 08, and everybody keeps comparing this to 08, and we know that this is not even close to the same as no. 08. Big difference. But the Big thing difference. is, 08 was a lot like the Titanic. Everybody was listening to music and, and watching the band play and having cocktails until she slid right under the water. Right. Yet what you're saying is to be proactive and know where your water level is, where, where is the time to get out if it dips below this point, if it heads this direction, my realtor's already up on it. I already know that I can get away from this before. Right. right. Joe, that's yeah. some fantastic information. And that's, I think, something that I, I want my listeners to take away is that doing, a, doing a, a, a maybe even just a biannually assessment of what right. you have and how what you have is performing, because I know a lot of times we don't look at how what we did performed until we've sold it or until it's over with. And then we look at what we could have corrected, maybe doing some uh, interpretation of that financial picture in the interim right. is a good thing. Yeah. Joe, one yeah. last thing I want to- If I can add one more thing too, Shannon, yeah, to, to that. And so as you do that assessment, and, and I appreciate you, you they basically saying exactly that. The last thing I think people should try to do if they can is revisit their credit opportunities with their bankers. If it's you know home equity lines of credit, if it's you know any kind of credit capacity that they have access to, and then B, try to gather and try to retain and try to get as much cash as they can. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's something that yeah. I remember I was told early on is, and it was, uh, oddly, it was by a banker, but they said, you know, we will always loan you money when you don't need it, and we never will loan it to you when you desperately need it. So that's correct. when you're in the financial position to be asking whether you need it or not is the time to ask. That's right. Exactly. Because, because, you know, as we head into these times, everybody might be fine today, but if, if today continues for six more months, how depleted will your cash reserves be? Exactly. Uh, and at the point that your cash reserves are depleted, they don't usually like to loan you money. Yeah, right. And, right. Exactly. And can you utilize that cash if you're in a good position to really improve your portfolio and grow your portfolio at a lower basis, right? That's so exactly right. Than what we've seen. Exactly right. So anyway, thank you. Well, hey, Joe, I want to thank you for the time that you've spent with us this morning. I, I really want to thank you for your insight into you know, just what you can do already here. We're, we're, we're sitting right in the middle, hopefully toward the end, right, of COVID. But we're sitting here. The, the cake is baked. We've got to deal with it. But I really, really appreciate your insight on how listeners can improve their position as they sit today and how they can also improve their look going forward. And at least if it doesn't turn out to be better, at least they're not completely flabbergasted and surprised. Right. And, and, and it, Janet, it's been a pleasure and definitely an honor. Uh, and I appreciate the opportunity and I look forward to more conversations like this in the future. Yes, Joe. And I really do appreciate your time. We will be talking with you soon. Thanks guys for joining us on the Real Estate Rundown. We'll talk to you next time.